Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday Celebration from the Center for Spiritual Living in Huntsville, Alabama. We hope you feel the grace, the beauty, and the love of our community as you hear the message of the week. Many blessings to you. So the mindfulness bell is our invitation to stop, to go within, and to take three conscious breaths. I studied with Thich Nhat Hanh. The ringing of the bell was a sacred practice we would do throughout the day. And when the bell would ring, we would stop wherever we are and we would go within and we would connect to that still small voice, to that knower within. My Zen calendar this morning, December 31st, was Henry David Thoreau. And he says, when we forget everything that we have learned, then the knower can awaken. So the invitation is to let go of what we think we know and open to the mystery of the one who knows. It is that place of our own evolution and growth that we touch. It is the life within the life. It is that eternal spark of our divinity that was never born and never dies. And the practice sometimes is to simply ring a bell, to stop, all the thinking and efforting and planning and just go within and observe what you discover there. Sometimes we discover there's an anxiety that hasn't been met. There's a concern that is wanting our attention. And so since we're always at choice point, we observe what is arising, not with the idea that it's not acceptable, but the idea that it has arisen to be met. And then you hear Rumi admonishing his students. He said, this being human is like a guest house and come knocking at the door of your consciousness are all the issues that seem to be coming up for you. And he says, invite them all in and sit them down at the table. They may be coming to clear out your house. And so we listen with compassion. We listen with understanding. We listen with gratitude. No longer trying to manipulate consciousness, but being curious. What is consciousness showing me today? Is consciousness showing me my struggle, my suffering? We just did the World Peace Meditation. Or is the witness within me, the knower within me, showing me the alternative to the struggle, which would be a simple resting in the moment, allowing what is to be, 
So perhaps by looking in the chaos, we find the order inherent within the chaos. By looking at the darkness that seems so heavy at times, we find right at the core of the darkness a spark of light, ready to illuminate the darkness. And then everything is invited. Nothing is excluded in this experience of now, the sacred moment. And so as we launch ourselves into a new year, my prayer is not so much to give me what I want in this life, but truly give me what I need. If I need to meet my shadow, so be it, and I will bring heaven to my own personal hell. And then we realize when you imagine no heaven outside of you, well, then you realize the kingdom of heaven is within. And then something begins to smile from within because it's always been there waiting for our attention. <coughs> and by setting our intention in this new year to resolve to evolve is what I'm speaking about today. And so the question we get to ask our soul is how might that unfold. And when you ask the question, then we get to listen patiently. There's something that will show us, not necessarily preach to us in a gospel, but show us by an example. And then we witness this divine presence everywhere. It says in the Quran, Am I not your Lord? This is creation speaking. To which we respond, yes, we witness you. And then we hear Meister Eckhart who says, he who can see God in the smallest of things is better than seeing an angel. And so we pick up a rock on the side of the path. And the rock seems to be opening our heart. And so we let this little cold piece of earth Show us the way. And then we hear the Algonquin Indians who would go out to the trees and they would say, teach me and show me the way. They would go to the little rivulet of water and say, teach me and show me the way. When I was with Thich Nhat Hanh, he would say the miracle is not to walk on water as they reputed Jesus to have done. The miracle is not to walk on fire which seems to be all the rage. He says the true miracle is to walk on earth where every step is a blessing, a sacred step. And so I invite you to open your eyes and enter into the sacred space with us this Sunday morning, New Year's Eve. One of the things that I love to do, and it started when I was a brand new minister 34, almost 35 years ago, once a year, well, it was twice a year, it was January and February, it was almost like a, a routine. You would talk about the four basic chapters of the science of mind, the thing itself, the way it works, what it does, and how to use it. And for 30 years, I did those four talks. And what was good is you got the continuity of the teaching. 
The thing itself is the one that knows no other. The way it works, it works through your consciousness. What it does is it creates all things new and how to use it. Well, you get to figure that one out on your own. And I like to think it's not so much how do we use it, how can we allow it to use us? And there's a whole big difference because if I think I'm directing the universe, well, that's to me a low level of consciousness. But if I can do a Ricky Byers, use me, oh God, I stand for you and here I'll abide as you show me all that I must do and then give you three little babies and it will show you what you must do. Not from a Dr. Spock's book on how you raise the perfect child, but how can I be in the present moment when my little grandchild is saying, Jojo, no, or whatever it is. My little nephew, Will, he's um, he's not my nephew, he's my little sister's grandchild and he is the light of her life and he says the most outrageous things to her and she can't wait to tell me. I said, you realize that this little boy is your teacher? She said, on steroids? <laughs> Ohm, get over here, Ohm. I mean, he literally orders her around. She was pushing him in the stroller in the grocery store at Christmas time, and he breaks out in German, because she was a German teacher. Oh, what's that song? Oh, Tannenbaum, oh, Tannenbaum, wie dressen deine Bette. At the top of his lungs in the Portland, Oregon grocery store, what's she going to do? Tell him to shut up? No, he just entertained the whole grocery store. And I said, and you know, when you, when you meet life on life's terms, well, then when it gives you these odd little experiences, you think, aren't I the most blessed one? Wasn't you, Brittany, that read that thing, how blessed we are? Even the stuff that's really challenging. I brought in the, uh, the prayer shawl that a dear friend, Nancy Schramm, knitted for me for my little blind and deaf pug. Well, no, she knitted it for me to pray with. And I'm sitting there praying, and then I put it down, and the blinded deaf pug curls up on it. And he, every night, he seeks out my smells or my prayers. I don't know what it is that he finds out about that little prayer shawl, but he is just all over it. And he's wrapped around it, and then he starts to snore. And so I brought it into the World Peace Meditation, and I felt him holding me. And you know, it's so funny. We, we see things in kind of an askewed way. I used to think that I was really caring for him and nurturing him because he literally, he requires that I carry him everywhere. I have to place him even at his food bowl. Half the times he falls over and I have to pick him up. And then I realized if he can't hold his legs up, oh, just put your legs down and be prostrate on the ground and I'll put your bowl under you. He can't see, but he can smell it. And, and then he's done and I pick him up and I carry him to the water bowl. Pick him up and I carry him to his little bed. <laughs> so is my life. And I think, you know, I'm, he's my, my challenge. I'm, I'm spending my whole life just holding him. And then mind in me said, no, David, he's holding you. He's taking care of you. In his fragile, simple little way, he's letting me know that I care for you and that I'm going to take care of you by, by giving you my full attention. I mean, when Al stayed at the house, when Trey and I went up to Maine, I said, the only requirement, Al, is you're going to have to sleep with the pug. And, of course, dutiful, beloved Al, spent that whole week in bed with my pug and um, and he smiles because he just wants to be held and isn't it funny and then you hear this kind of strange thing when you extend anything to the other you're the one that reaps the blessing so in in the in the true form of the thing itself the way it works what it does and how to use it i like to find a really inspiring ibg inspired by god book and this is Mark Nepo's book called The Endless Practice. And the subtitle is Becoming Who You Were Born to Be. Now, that's a wonderful question to ask yourself. Who were you born to be? You were born to be, oh, uh, here's my family coming in. It's so nice to see them. Come, come on down. So it's an endless practice. You never get to the finish line. 
And then when we asked the question, who were we born to be, could we open to that? So the first week when I was exploring this lovely book, I spoke about we're always beginning. Every moment is the moment you're beginning. I'm 75 years old. I turned on December 2nd. I'm beginning my 76th year of life on planet Earth. And I'm so grateful to be at this stage of my evolution, my consciousness. The second week, I explored the idea of, what did it, oh, the exchange that brings us alive. You know, it's when we come together. When I saw Brittany walk in and she threw her arms around me, I knew I needed this exchange. All these strange people were here at our revealing service, and it was so nice to just meet heart to heart. And they came to experience, as Pam reminded me, the dynamic of entering into a field where we are participating in expanding this light on planet Earth. My beloved Wanda Gale was here and she talked about casting this net of light around the world. You can cast, once you find it in here, the thing itself, the way it works, it works through us. And could we offer it to the world as a gift, as an offering? So the third week I talked about um, what are reliable truths that we can fall back on. When life just seems to be going to hell in a handbasket, I fall back on that beautiful Hildegard of Bingen saying, all is well and all shall be well. It's one of those reliable truths when I think everything is going awful. No, no, it's, it's all is well. This is part of the transformation. And sometimes things have to deconstruct before they reconstruct. Have you noticed that in life? And then this morning I found Buckminster Fuller telling me one of his beautiful ideas. He said, we don't change a paradigm on planet Earth by opposing the paradigm. What we do is we create a new paradigm and by its very essence, the old one begins to fall away. So I'm so glad you saying, imagine, imagine where there are not all these different countries. My neighbor, she, um, she came over on the boat from Vietnam. And, um, you know, during that time when they were fleeing persecution, I was around during the Vietnam War. And this same person has an issue with the border and people coming across the border. And then I, 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 I self-reflected, aren't we all immigrants here? Didn't we all come from somewhere else? And so when I want to embrace um, the oneness, I see these little kids coming across with their dad holding them in their arms because they want a, a life and some of the things that we all take for granted, freedom, democracy. Um, and so it's it all here. So what brings us alive is when I can see myself connected to every part of life and then the reliable truths, I can say this too is good, this too is God, and I demand to see the blessing. So I'm not in resistance anymore. Even the troubling stuff can be filled with grace. A woman that I don't even know called me last, I think it was Sunday after church, and she was sobbing. I came home, and she had been to church once here, and her daughter had committed herself to Bradford, and she says, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the whole place is about. And I said, well, I have a beloved congregant who has worked at Bradford, and maybe she can guide you through this time. And she was so grateful that someone cared enough to direct her to another soul who could let her know that you will get through this and this can be a transformational time for both of you. When my beloved Thomas here was out of town, we had the most intimate conversations on the phone because we recognized that this was a time for him to either curse what he was going through or to see it as an opportunity to go to the deep well. And he did all the work on himself and it was so beautiful to share that experience with you. So the last week, I talked about what gifts do we bring to the world, and it was Christmas Sunday last week, for those of you who weren't here, and um, what if the gifts we bring, and Mark Nepo talks about, we get to discover what they are. What is the gift your soul came here to give? And you, you, no one's going to tell you what that is, so could we listen deeply enough 
to find out what that is. My sweet husband had been a teacher for 30 years, and um, and he he took one uh, computer class in college, got a C, and the only job he could get in Atlanta was the computer teacher at a private school. So he came home that day, and he was freaking out. I got a job, David. I got a job. I said, well, congratulations, honey. He said, but it's teaching computers, and I really don't know anything about computers. I said, I was in this teaching at that time. I said, fake it till you make it. We went out and we bought him a computer. We got a little book on computers. And he was the most wonderful teacher. He was offered jobs everywhere as a computer teacher because he didn't know computers. But what he did know was how to bring these kids to a discovery process. Where And he says, they were smarter than me from the get-go. And he was just facilitating the growth, the learning process. And I realized that the gift that he brought to that school was he was a loving presence. And when these kids would come, oftentimes they didn't have a full family. He would put his arm around them. And when they would have a fight, he would rescue the one in the fight. His job was just to love these kids. He, every year he would get the award as the most popular teacher, not because of his acumen around computers, but because of his loving heart. So this Sunday, now that we know what our gifts are, maybe we don't, this Sunday I'm going to talk about on New Year's Eve, could we resolve to evolve? Oh, isn't that a double entendre there? This is where people make resolutions on Christmas Eve, unless you don't, because usually resolutions. What was the thing about a, an expectation? It's a contract for disappointment. <laughs> I know it is. Premeditated disappointment. So that's why a lot of people don't do these, um, you know, resolutions to lose 15 pounds. But I like to re re resurrect the word resolve. Resolve is to set an intention. I'm just finishing up on this beautiful class, The Grace and Aging. And the whole premise of this Buddhist teaching is to set an intention with your life. That's the most important thing. Always go back to what is your intention. Is your intention to serve at the highest level? Phil and I were discussing, in ministry, could we always stay alive in the question? Am I here to serve at the highest level? Am I here to grow and to evolve? If I'm not evolving, well, you might as well cast me aside. Every day it gets more exciting. And, and this man, what's so grace-filled about him is he, his, his, his challenges. He had cancer twice, nearly died, came back both times, and they transformed him. They evolved him. And at the very end of the book, let me get, like, these are my cheaters. I, you know, I can see without glasses, but when you put them on, it's like a little gift. Thank you. And then I don't have to be ashamed. Ah, all things are true, he says. I simply have to keep my heart open long enough and keep discovering how they're true. We have a little uh, sign in the kitchen window. I, I do it for my husband because he tends to react in life. And it says, everything is perfect just as it is, so why get upset about it? And he says, did you put that there intentionally? I said, yeah. <laughs> when I can keep my heart open, he says, it's as if there's an invisible string that connects me to you and to everything else. Well, I think we're here to keep our heart open, don't you, Sylvia? Yes. You know, she had this beautiful owl that she put to keep it away from the blueberries. And then the, the falcon, was it the falcon? The hawk sat down. You know, we used to put the birds in our window in Atlanta because they would fly into the window. So you'd have these birds glued to the window, <coughs> silhouettes, and then we'd have the owl. And you know, it didn't stop them. It slowed them down a little bit. They're smarter than we are. I mean, they're birds. So when I can keep my heart open, it's as if there's this invisible string that connects us to everything. And when you move, it tugs on you. The tug not only confirms that we're connected, but that I feel an ache wherever you go. That pull of the barely seeable threads that connect us and the ache that binds us 
is the slack and the tension of compassion as all of life moves together. I'll never forget, I came here one Sunday. Everything happens on Sunday morning when I come to church. And I pull in the parking lot, and an opossum had just been run over, and all her babies were squished. She'd been waddling across the road. And, of course, what am I going to do? I'm out there picking up the mother, picking up the babies. I'm going to a pot over here. I'm emptying the pot out. I'm placing the mother, putting her babies around. And, putting, and then, then i got to come back and do this. All the same time, I realized that was there for me. There was a thread that says, I just can't pretend that it's an opossum in the middle of the street in front of the church. No, it was mine to do. It was last week. I noticed there was a little baby mouse outside our driveway. It had been run over. It's the same idea. Am I going to let it keep running over with the car? Or are we going to pick up that sweet little baby mouse? It's just a little life form. And I put it again in another plant so that it can have its life celebrated with a that pull of the barely seeable threads that connect us and the ache that binds us is the slack and tension of compassion as all of life moves together. So he's sharing his experience. Could we open to this compassionate heart? And when stuff in life comes that may be uncomfortable, could it just make us softer and more accepting and more loving? On the inside, he says, I'm coming to know joy as an expansive sense of being. And out in the world, when I don't hide, I find that same joy singing all around me. And then you realize when you find it in here, you're going to see it out there. And then the evolving consciousness, all we ever see is ourselves, that the world is a mirror of who we are. So if we're pointing our finger at the mirror and accusing it, well, we're not seeing that that is really reflecting us. There was a saying years ago in New Thought that says, if you look in the mirror of life and you notice that your hair is, uh, is, is a mess, do you comb the mirror? Can you get it? Or do you take it to response? So if you see everything's a problem out here, could we look at a part of ourselves that's identifying that life is a problem, or could we find that this is an opportunity? So there's a subtle way of shifting. Thomas saw the opportunity when he was going through his challenges. And isn't that worth its weight in gold? It's all an opportunity for us to see things clearly. And then I hear that song in my head, I can see clearly now the pain has gone. I can see all the obstacles that were in my way. Gone are those dark clouds that had me blind. It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. That's a treat. And you can sing it. So our heart is always deeper and stronger than we think it is. It's ready to hold us and soften us along the way. A great sea shapes a stubborn shore. That's a metaphor. The great sea of life shapes the shore of our existence. There's my beloved Phyllis. So good to see you. Okay. So through the difficult and essentializing journey of being human, he's talking about this evolution that we get to go through, the lightning of our being becomes the diamond within our heart. Well, that's a lovely image, isn't it? The lightning of being becomes the diamond within our heart, a unified center point of presence where our depth of feeling and clarity of mind are briefly one and the same. While no one can live in such a condensed depth permanently, our brief experience of such heartfelt clarity can inform the rest of our lives. It just takes a moment. So as you meet what is yours to meet, and then I underline three times, trust this clarifying process that your spirit is being strengthened by one drop of truth that sees through from the diamond heart can soothe a thousand wounds. I'll never forget that beautiful lunch that I had with Brittany four years ago and she just had a miscarriage and her heart was broken because she was so clear that this child 
and she were communicating. And I said, I know as I know anything that that soul it chose you and it will find you again. And it wasn't, I don't even know, maybe nine months later, Phoenix came on the scene, rising from the ashes. And there's a soul contract there. Those little moments in life. I mean, so many of you have soul contracts with me that we find each other in those moments. Sometimes when we're lost and we need someone to help us see through to the other side, spirit will not abandon you ever. Sometimes we abandon ourselves. So going on to this resolve to evolve, he says this. And now if pressed to speak of God from this place of wonder, he said, I'd have to say that God is the one true world, ah, the all-embracing ocean that is home to every single fish. He's wanting you to get a bigger idea of source, David. If pressed, he's a nice Jewish boy, by the way. If pressed to speak of God from inside all that I've suffered, I'd have to say that God is the unnameable unity that held me together through all my challenges. It is the continually brings me alive as possible, the way the sun makes everything grow. If pressed to comment on the human journey, I'd have to say that the soul is the common center of universal spirit. Well, then it makes us kind of want to tap into what is the soul within us. The soul is that eternal part that was never born and never dies. When I was privileged to do Barbara's daughter's uh, memorial service, I said, Haley's still here. She's just not in her body. And we can grieve for the form all we want, but spirit didn't die. And my twin sister passing last Christmas, I can attest that she's with me all the time. All the time. Thank you. I know. I'm talking to that in that phone out there. Gigi and Raul wanted the wind phone. And it's basically you pick it up and you speak to those that are no longer on the planet. So I went out this morning before the World Peace Meditation and I chatted with my twin. It was kind of a sweet little thing. Uh, if pressed to comment on the human journey, I'd have to say that the soul is the common center of the universal spirit and it seeds each human being, which is why when in the depths of our soul, we feel a kinship with all life. And I believe there's a PBS series called Kinship with All Life. So what if we're evolving into a realization that we're not separate? And then you hear the beautiful Sufi tradition. When I forget who I am, I think that you and I are separate. But when I remember the truth, I realize that we are one. When I studied with Thich Nhat Hanh, he had this beautiful phrase, it was interbeing, and he would say, we inter-are. And he would say things, I look at this piece of paper, and I don't see a piece of paper. I see the sunshine, I see the tree, I see the earth from which it grew. I see that the lumberjack that cut it down and the paper mill that made it into paper. So it's much more than just a single piece of paper. So what if in this inner beingness, we get to directly experience in a practical way, this thread that binds us together as one. And so his, at the end of the book, he said, could we make a resolution to evolve into this true nature of who we are? We're a spiritual being and we're having a human experience. Huh. We're an eternal soul that has a temporary lifespan in a form called a body, but our eternal soul is, um, so what if we started identifying with that true nature? And I have so many on the other side right now, and they're all still with me. So when I leave this mortal coil, I promise to haunt all of you. So just be open to receive. <laughs> Tom said, bring it on. And so, yeah, in, in the beautiful revealing or the world peace meditation, we did a prayer and we invoked love and light. We invoked understanding. We invoked peace. And they're all aspects of our true nature. And so could we know that we are the light of the world? And, you know, every spiritual teaching says that. 
Um, Jesus says, be a light unto the world. No, that was the Buddha himself that says, be a light unto the world. And Jesus says, let your light shine. Don't put it under a bushel. In, in, in the Quran, they say, nur ala nur, light upon light. So the light in Thomas meant the light in David. And then that light potentiates itself. So what if we're playing with energies that are greater than the local self, than the egoic self? And in that lovely book, The Grace and Aging, she points to this, this sense of being all connected to grace itself and that it's all grace. Even that mother calling me, crying on the phone last Sunday, was, was a cry for love. And then you hear the Course in Miracles that says, everything in life is either an expression of love or a cry for love. No exceptions. And so when someone comes to you and they're not um, on their best whatever, it's a cry for love. Could we open our heart and meet that, whatever that is, that's coming to be met and hold it? I think of my little pug again. He's such a guru for me because he has separation anxiety. And when he can't see or hear me, he starts sniffing, a tiny little pug nose, and he can't smell me. And so he heads his way to the bathroom. I guess there's the smell in there. And he goes to, and he sits by the tub and he starts to howl. And Trey and I, we have to shop sometimes. So we go shopping, we come home. Who do you think sitting by the tub? So I go in and I pick him up, and as soon as my arms are around him, he's at peace. It wasn't a complicated thing. I didn't have to fix him. I just he just needed to know that he was loved, that he was held. Well, aren't those beautiful experiences that I get to evolve to that place of the deepest acceptance? Then you don't try to treat him away and make him a better pug. No, he's perfect just as he is. One of my great heroes is a lady named Barbara Marks Hubbard. And she, this little book called The 52 Codes of Conscious Self-Evolution. Her whole ministry was about evolution. And it's so powerful. She says how we moved from Homo Neanderthal. I think it started with Homo erectus, then Homo Neanderthal, then Homo sapien, then Homo sapien sapien. And now she says it is time for us to evolve into what she calls Homo universalis, the universal human. And that's why it's so perfect. Imagine no religion. The universal human doesn't have a religion where this one is right and this one is wrong. Get rid of that old God. And then, and that's why he was so courageous. If you want to talk about God, I'll tell you what God is. God's in everything. God's in that little pug. He's my little guru right now. Who would have thought that a blind and deaf pug would be a guru? And oh, and then someone, this young man was the first time at the center at the World Peace Meditation. And he, I said, do you have any questions? And he said, just one. What's with that penguin? that you have sitting up there on the stage. I said, well, you know, all of life is your teacher. And when I was a student of religious science, I dabbled in everything and I studied with a shaman named Richard Harner. And um, he did a shamanic retreat in Atlanta and we would pound the drum and we would go into deep meditation. And in the shamanic tradition, they have you go into these other dimensions. They called it the lower world and the upper world. And when you went into the lower world, you were to call upon your spirit animal. They said, everyone has a spirit animal. And so I'm envisioning a gazelle. I'm envisioning maybe an elephant. I'm envisioning a lion. And out come waddling was a penguin. And I thought, oh. And then you were, then you were, you were instructed, ask your spirit animal what it has to teach you if you have any questions. So I said to the spirit animal in this meditation, how are we going to create peace on earth? And the penguin all of a sudden, I saw them all sitting with their little eggs, and everybody was sitting on everybody's eggs, and every little penguin was helping every little penguin. And I said, I need more information from you. And all of a sudden, the penguins started sliding down and going to the water and splashing, and they were having a gay old time. And I'm thinking, oh, they're really showing me 
by their example, this is how we're going to create peace on earth, by coming together as a sangha, by caring for each other, by loving the children, they're all our children, and by having fun. And I thought, something as simple, by a willingness to stretch your imagination and get out of the local mind that seems to want answers. And then again, I said on my Zen calendar this morning was um, Henry David Thoreau, and he says, when you forget all your learning, then the knower awakens. So could we let go of all the cherished knowledge that we have? We've got it all figured out. No, you don't. Nobody can figure out the great mystery. It's been said that trying to figure out the the mystery of belonging to the universe is like taking a flashlight and trying to illuminate the sun. You're you're not going to be able to do it. But you can surrender and discover it. So she's just filled with all these ways to bring your evolved self into this program. I just want to give you a little taste of it. Ask and receive the continuity of consciousness. You're having a communication with the universe. At the next stage of our evolution, you begin to experience a direct knowing by identity with the process of creation and its recorded unfoldment in the 15 billion years of evolution. 15 billion years. That's how old you are. I don't mean to impugn your young, beautiful looks, but 15 billion years of evolution encoded within us even more. We experience the void. We experience the emptiness as having intelligence. It's sentient. And then there's this lovely book called um, The Story of Gaia, That this PhD from Oxford, England, a woman. She says, Gaia is waking up. The intelligence of the universe is waking up. So, And, and, and it says it's basically moving us from entropy, falling apart, to entropy, which is waking up. And then she says in this lovely thick book on the story of Gaia, we move from the me into the we and ultimately into the all. It's all us. It's all the one. Tignat Han, we enter our. It's in the smallest of things. So she goes on to say, you are both in eternity and also unfolding in time. You're both. Evolutionary consciousness makes it possible for you to experience yourself in pure timeless awareness while simultaneously you're unfolding in time. Yeah, we're going to get older. We're ultimately going to transition out of the form. We're eternal beings. I like that 18 billion years old, Sylvia. You did find an older woman there, David. 18 billion years. <laughs> and then you can laugh. And you know, laughter is the greatest medicine. It sets the soul free. A little bit more of, the, of her evolutionary repatterning. So she says, be ready to repattern at the next stage when a larger pattern is ready for you. So when that pattern is ready for you, maybe you'll show up at one of these centers and I'll tell you to get, a, to get yourself a new god. Get rid of that old God that would kill off everybody and give you a rainbow. Who wants to pray to something like that? You want the divine feminine in your your divinity, something that will embrace you and nurture you and see you for who you are. Well, I think that's an evolutionary step, don't you think, Phyllis? You might have to cut your hair if you're a woman. Oh, the larger process of evolution is repositioning each one of us. So could we offer and make a commitment, and that's what I love about that Grace and Aging book, are we willing to make a commitment to evolve at this stage of growth? to meet our shadow side. I love that Susan says, I'm meeting the questions at the end of the book and some of them are really God-smacking me because they basically, it's, it's, you know, tell the truth. Are you caught up in some kind of idea that's holding you bound in expectation and in judgment? Or can you see that it's your construct that's creating that suffering and then let go of the expectation that we might have of somebody else or even ourselves? It's, it's this lifelong journey to nowhere to now here, as Thich Nhat Hanh, or as Wayne Dyer would say. It's, it's a repatterning. So a little more of Barbara. She said, everything that is dysfunctional in your life, guess what? It's going to get more dysfunctional. Well, isn't that good news? 
because it's got to deconstruct. And when it's ready to deconstruct, well, then you don't need it anymore. Imagine not needing your story. This this whole week in class was about, could you put your story down? Oh, but my story is so juicy. There's so much drama. There's so much pain and suffering. Well, why don't you give me your story just for a little while and see what it feels like to be free? I'll give it back to you because I know you'll want it back. Everything that is dysfunctional in your life in this repatterning process will get more dysfunctional while new functionalities start to emerge. And then you begin to see things in different ways. Traden forced himself to be a better computer teacher. He, for, he invited his heart to open and meet the kids where they were and, and create a process where they could learn. In a, kind of like you did, David, with the kids on the bench. He would create these experiences where the kids were all creating what they wanted to, and they would discover how adept they were at computers or how challenged they were, and then he would work with them individually in groups, and it was a dynamic process. Your new identity as a young universal human takes hold. Your new identity as a young universal human will take hold, and then your creativity will unfold toward a new life's purpose. Well, isn't that kind of exciting at 75? I get to embrace a whole new life's purpose. Fred not dead, he and I are the same vintage. I think we're a couple of weeks apart. And he, he's a PhD psychiatrist, retired, and now he's discovering a whole new way to serve the one. I think it's so amazing that we're all still works in progress. We don't get to a plateau when you're done, no. Lastly, Barbara says, the larger pattern is the shift in the planetary body that's now calling each one of us to express ourselves in new and dynamic ways. They want us to find our gifts and give them. The gifts of the soul, the gifts of awareness, the gifts of compassion, the gifts of playfulness. Yeah, this future present is magnetizing each one of us into a forward flow. There is something that is moving us forward. Could we surrender and discover what that is? Okay, this life belongs to you, spirit. This is the only prayer I do. Use this life. It belongs to you. Do with it as you will. I want to serve the highest good wherever that might be. And if it's picking up a baby mouse in front of my house, well, that's where the highest good is. Colleen Thomas was one of my greatest pleasures. We had those deep conversations. The future present is magnetizing us forward. And as you feel called to this greater awareness and action, be ready for the very fabric of your life to repattern itself and then a new order begins to emerge because we're offering it new food, new ideas, new challenges. I mean, I love it that Kenny and Brittany have these three beautiful young little kids and they get to be their teachers and they don't need to find a formula to make the, the kid like every other kid. No, they're unique expressions of God that came and chose them. I believe that we choose our parents, that, they, that there's a soul connection, a soul contract. And I think the greatest parents are the ones that set their children free to discover who they are and not try to mold them into an idea of who they should be. No Barbie here. Let go of what does not work and allow the new patterns to draw you forward by attraction. Through the law of attraction, you're going to be drawn to a spiritual practice that resonates with you. And if this is the one, well, then I welcome you all with open arms because this is the one that transformed my life. It literally woke me up to my potential, my possibility, to the call of my soul, and it still does. This is not a one-time event, my friends. It's a continuous process of unfolding toward your life ever evolving. Well, I think I need to read this to you, Ms. Pam, one more time. This is not a one-time event, but a continuous process of unfolding toward life, which is ever evolving. Well, I think that's pretty clear, isn't it? 
life is ever evolving and it's using you and me to do that. Okay. I want to close with a little prayer from Llewellyn and then I'll do my meditation. This is called Spiritual Ecology and he's hearing the cry of the earth. And because we just did the World Peace Meditation, he does a prayer at the end of the book and it kind of shows me where I want to be in my evolution. And I'm going to share this with you. We'll take it as a prayer because it's really deep. It's really profound. He says this. Small print. He says this. We need to relearn the wisdom of listening to life, feeling its heartbeat and sensing its soul. We're not separate. He says, but first, there is a pressing need to reconnect matter and spirit. All of life is sacred. Every breath and guess what? Every stone even if it looks like a brownie. This is one of the great secrets of oneness. Everything is included. We don't exclude the blueberries or the owl or the hawk. Everything is included, and within our hearts and soul, we can reconnect with our primal knowing that the divine is present in everything. So we go to this soul place. We're not a body with a soul. We're a soul, an eternal soul that has a body. And when we connect with that, but then what does he say? We know that this divine presence is in everything, everything. There is no spot where God is not. Well, then I think you go for a walk in nature and you sit down at the foot of a tree and you have tantric experience. The tree and I are one. I was reflecting with my little sister because I raised her. She was born when I was nine years old and, and she's now being blown away with her little grandchildren, how magical they are. <laughs> And I said, you know, when you were a baby, you were magical. And I, my earliest memory was when I think I was four or five. I, I was kind of an isolated little kid. I would go out into the forest and I would sit down and I'd hold a flower and I would literally fall into the flower. I would literally merge with the flower. That was my deepest connection to oneness. Of course, I'd never told anybody. I'm, I can't believe I'm telling you. But that's what I did as a little kid. I merged with things. There is, for example, a simple prayer for our earth, Llewellyn. The act of placing the world as a living being within our hearts. And when, when we inwardly remember the divine, we become aware in our hearts of the sorrow and the suffering of the world. And we ask this divine love within and this healing flow might go where it's needed. And through our <laughs> prayers and the power of this divine, it will help us and help the world and will help us bring the earth back into balance. We need to reawaken the power of love in the world. It's that simple. Could we love the world? Trey and I have this calendar that we turn every day and we see a little piece of the world and it's showing us, could I put my love into that? It's from National Geographic. And I wanted Brittany and Kenny to give their kids that, that beautiful treat of seeing the beauty. I mean, you'll see the beauty in every photograph. Just go for a walk. I love when we were talking about waterfalls today and on Monte Sano, I went to that very place, David, you spoke about with that waterfall and this young lady came from Atlanta to Huntsville her father had come to the center, he passed, so she had his ashes in an urn, and she wanted to spread them out in Mani Sano, it's his favorite place to go. So we walked up to where the waterfall was, and we did a blessing, and we took his ashes, and I threw them out over the cliff, and they all blew back at her face and covered it with ashes. I'm just saying. <laughs> Things have a way of happening. Um, lastly, he says, and then we'll do this closing meditation. When we hear the morning chorus of the birds, we may sense there's a deeper joy for life and awaken to the divine nature all around us. At night, the stars can remind us of what is infinite in the universe and eternal within us and within the world. And watching the simple wonder of a dawn or a sunset can be an offering in itself. Whatever way we are drawn to wonder, to recognize the sacred in everything, 
What matters is always the attitude that we bring to this intimate exchange. It is through the heart that a real connection is made. Then this connection comes alive and a living stream then flows from our heart and embraces all of life. And then every step, here's Thich Nhat Hanh again, and every touch will be a prayer to Mother Earth and a remembrance that it's all sacred. It's all sacred. It's a nice thing to resolve, to evolve into, that life is sacred, and we're here to witness it. So, beloved Jody, you want to ring the mindfulness bell? And then we'll do a wonderful uptune and have some fun. So, for whom the bell tolls? Ernest Hemingway asked. The bell tolls for thee, he responded. And so as we let the diminishment of the sound take us into the silence, there is an external silence, and then there's an internal silence that's always there. And so it is possible for us to turn off the mind that wants to have a conversation, and yet awareness is still there. We're not thinking thoughts, but this awake awareness is there, a loving awareness. And we're aware that we're sitting in the Center for Spiritual Living. And we're surrounded by beautiful souls that have chosen to come to this place, to inner spirit. We observe mm, our body and how it serves us so well. If you're 75, you might want to sit up straight and put your shoulders back and you feel your spine aligning yet again. And the yoga teacher in me gives thanks that there is a way to nurture the body through how we move through life. There is a way to nurture the mind as it evolves out of a narrative that's unconscious into a knowing that is awake. And then the intentions begin to flower, the intention to be here now, knowing that all we have is the sacred moment, the intention to open the heart to what is, and then whatever is, we get to embrace it. If it's, if it's a howling pug by the tub, what a guru, what a teacher. And then we say, this too is good, and this too is for me. And I make a demand on the universe that I can see the blessing, even in those things that are uncompromisingly difficult. And in that deepest acceptance of life on life's terms, I find freedom. Freedom to say yes. Freedom to see the growth. Freedom to see the deconstruction and the reconstruction. Freedom to expand into our true nature, which is waiting for us. And then I hear Krishnamurti, in oneself lies the whole world. And if you know how to look and to learn, then the door is there and the key is in your hand. But no one gives you the key or the door to open except yourself. And so the key opens the door inward where we get to discover this jubilant and beholden soul uh, that chose to incarnate at this particular time. And we begin to listen with open-hearted awareness to the cries of the soul. It's not going to give you a neurotic narrative. It's going to give you a felt awareness of how it comes alive. And so could we be humble enough and committed enough to listen to the jubilant and beholden soul that longs to be revealed by each one of us. It's not separate. When I remember who I am, I know I'm you, and I know you're me, and that there's only one here. So thank you, beloved, 
for planting the seed of our own divine evolution within all creation. And we get to support it and serve it in our own unique way. We don't have to know what it's going to look like. When all our learning falls away, well, then the knower awakens. Uh, And so we evolve now into the knower, the one who is assisting us throughout life in assuming the consciousness that's required to meet whatever the moment requires so that we might declare to the universe, this too is good, this too is God, and this too is for me and for the planet. How sweet it is. listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.cslhuntsville.org.